Um, I'm going to read this little passage from Matthew 28, from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Um, It's been a crazy couple of years, and in many ways... Uh, Lots of us will still be wearing the scars and some of the wounds of the trauma of the last couple of years in all sorts of different areas of our lives. But this week, of all the weeks of the last two years, has probably been as shocking as any others. And I don't know how you found it kind of tracking the news online, but to see videos of fathers kissing their families goodbye and then turning around and going picking up AK-47s and rifles to defend their cities against tanks, to see young mothers kind of packing uh, bottles with uh, polystyrene and petrol to try and defend their homes. To see such reckless evil unleashed on a whole nation brings the searing reality of our broken world home in an emphatic way. And I don't know about you, but I've been flipping between being glued to updates on my phone and then trying to pray for God's help for Ukraine, for the protection and rescue. And we're going to be praying for that lots this coming week, find lots of ways of supporting that nation in prayer and in other ways. But while all that's happening, I've also been speaking this week at a mission uh, at Durham University. And just been really extraordinary while all that has been going on to see a number of students coming to faith in Jesus, people exploring faith, people wrestling with their doubts, encouraging people to respond to Jesus Christ and seeing people come to faith all through the week. And then to be here this morning and see Amelia and Seth get baptized. And it's so exciting. And at times in life, it can feel like there's almost two different tracks going on. There's this wonderful, exciting track which can feel like people are responding and all the stuff we've just seen. And then there's this really difficult, painful track which is going on at the same time. And sometimes it can feel like two different worlds, but it's not two different worlds. It's like there's two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is advancing And then there's kingdom of darkness, which is resisting and fighting and contesting the blessings we see on a daily basis. And it's been such a reminder to me, if we ever needed it, that what we are involved with, what we are part of as the local church here, this adventure of following Jesus is vital. It's of critical importance to our friends, our families, our colleagues, our cities. It really matters. This world needs Jesus. Our cities need Jesus. Kiev needs Jesus. Moscow needs Jesus. Oxford needs Jesus. And today we're going to look at this passage and see what we sense God is calling us to this year. And the first thing we see in this passage is that the disciples are captivated by Jesus. The disciples have been through the traumatic shock of Jesus' arrest his interrogation, his torture, and his execution. Just imagine the sense of confusion and loss. Then the joy of encountering him, risen, resurrected. And yet, 
They're still living in a context where they are hunted by the religious authorities, at danger of their lives, living in a city occupied by a hostile foreign regime. And then they come to this mountain in Galilee, as Jesus has asked them to do. And when they get there, they see Jesus. The risen Jesus appears to them. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some doubted. Another way of translating that is hesitated. Some hesitated or doubted. When they see him, they worshipped him. It's one of the very few times in Scripture that Jesus is described as being worshipped. Because it took people a while to work out that that's the right response to Jesus Christ. He was worshipped when he was born by the Magi. He was worshipped when he walked on water by his disciples. He was worshipped when he healed a man and restored his sight. He was worshipped when he met the women in Easter Garden on Easter Day. And he was worshipped when he appeared to his disciples, resurrected. They know now. They can see him now as he really is. He is the risen king. He is the Lord. He wears the scars of his cross. He has conquered death. He is the Lord. And so they worship him. You see, when you see Jesus as he really is, his glory, his beauty, his holiness, his majesty, his power, his mercy, the natural response is to worship him. He is worthy of our worship. And one of the things it really seems like God is doing in our church at the moment is he is helping us to see Jesus afresh, to turn again and face the sun to be captivated by Jesus, to remind our hearts, our souls, our minds, just how beautiful and holy and worthy he is. I love the way that Michael said it. I absolutely love Jesus more than anything ever. Amazing. But there's also those who hesitate and doubt Uh, It's almost as if for some of the disciples, it's still almost too good to be true. They can't quite believe that this is Jesus. Do I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do I really believe he's risen from the dead? And there are times in life when things are really difficult, and we wrestle with that. I've mentioned that just before the pandemic, Beth's mum, Sarah, uh, died of cancer, and the end was very sudden, and it shocked us to the core of our building. We found it really tough. And um, I I did her funeral, and then we buried her. And there's something about putting someone in the earth that shakes your faith. You know, you see the coffin go down into the ground, and you walk away. And for a couple of weeks afterwards, Beth and I were just, just saying to each other, you know, just almost encouraging each other, but just being honest with each other, just saying, you know, sometimes it's hard to believe. Sometimes there are things in life which shake our faith. And it it took a kind of a process of just being honest about that. And then just allowing the Holy Spirit to remind us afresh that this is true. It's good. It's right. And it's the source of all hope. And even when our loved ones die, even when things go in a way that we would never have wanted, even when we go through things that are painful and we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy, Jesus is Lord. He is risen. He is king. And I love that this is a church which welcomes those with questions, who are exploring faith, which invites people to encounter Jesus. We want to be a church that invites people to encounter Jesus, to say, come and see. Bring your doubts. 
Bring your questions. This is an extraordinary time. I, I, I can't remember a time in my life where I've seen so many people who are completely new to the Christian faith just pitching up at all sorts of things. Pitching up at student night, pitching up at our Sunday services, pitching up at Alpha on Tuesday night, pitching up at Postgres, pitching up at the Act community. And you say to people, you know, some of you, how, how is it you've come to be here? And people kind of say, I don't know, I just thought this was the moment. I just thought I'd give church a go. I've always thought, I wonder what it's all about. Seemed like a good moment to give it a try. There's an extraordinary openness in our city at this time to Jesus Christ. It's why we're running Alpha. We currently got one of the largest spring alphas we've ever had in our church. And it's a fascinating mix of people. Never seen an Alpha course with such an extraordinary mix of people. You know, students, postgrads, young professionals, professors, people in their 40s and 50s, prison leavers, people who are going through a rough time and recovering from addiction, people who are kind of just drawn there and aren't even sure how they've come to be there, people who, who maybe had a faith 10 years ago and have kind of lost it and have thought, no, there's something here to be recovered. An extraordinary mix, bringing their questions and their doubts. So exciting. Never seen in my life people just coming to faith all over the place. Every week, sometimes every day. I've kind, of, I've kind of stopped getting surprised when a number member of our team or one of our volunteers just texts me and say, oh, just so you know, someone came to faith last night. Or I had a conversation with someone I was just sitting next to in church and they said they'd like to become a Christian. It's just happening again and again and again. It's like it's just bubbling up all over the place. I met a guy this week who'd been an atheist all his life and um, he's 19 years old. And uh, he just said, I just, I just thought maybe I should explore faith now. That's fascinating. Convinced, atheist, all his life. And then this week thinks, maybe I should explore it. Maybe I should give it a go. And, um, and I was able to pray with him and give him a book and encourage him to explore it. I love the story of Nasaga, uh, which you just heard on that video. Came to Oxford in September. No faith, no church background, not a church girl. Reads a Bible with her flatmate. Just says to her flatmate, who's a Christian, you know, could I ask you a few questions about your faith? They start reading the Bible together. And she encounters Jesus and starts coming to our church. So powerful to see people encountering Jesus, to find a home here. I love the fact that Max said, as you just saw in that film, this is the first place I felt like I belong. I find it so moving to see people in our church who didn't even know who Jesus was a few months ago, worshipping him here. I love that. What's fascinating about this passage, it says, whether worshipping or doubting, whether they were praising or hesitating, Jesus came to them. He drew close to them. You know, sometimes we think we're searching for Jesus, but actually Jesus is searching for us. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And he hasn't lost any of his power, hasn't lost any of his passion. He is still today in our midst seeking and saving the lost in our city, in our communities right now. And our job is very simple. It's just to say, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and encounter him. We want to be a church that invites people to encounter Jesus because we're captivated by Jesus. 
We see how beautiful and glorious he is, and we want other people to see that too. We don't have to make it complicated. We just have to say, come and see. The disciples are captivated by Jesus, but they're also commissioned by Jesus. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. All authority in heaven and earth is a lot of authority. It's a lot of authority. In times like this, though, when it feels like the world has been turned upside down, where there's seemingly insurmountable challenges, where institutions and political leaders and empires with great power are imposing their iron will on nations, when global tech companies have extraordinary influence, it can feel like the church is a bit fragile, a bit weak. But Jesus says, all authority and power on heaven and earth is given to me. And the foundation of everything we're called to do by Jesus is the authority of Jesus. And that authority is ultimate. It's complete. It's not up for grabs. It's all of the authority. It's all of the power in the universe. And sometimes you just see a glimpse of that. Uh, we're seeing at the moment a kind of a leader who's trying to almost reestablish the days of the Soviet Empire. And uh, you'll know that one of the leaders of the Soviet Empire was Leonid Brezhnev. And when he led that empire, it had probably the most formidable armed forces on the face of the earth. Thousands upon thousands of tanks and warplanes, millions of troops, more nuclear missiles than you would need to destroy the world ten times over. Extraordinary power, which just responded to his say-so, his fiat, his word. And uh, Brezhnev died. And at his funeral, there was all the pomp and ceremony you would expect to celebrate the greatness of this man's power. Huge power in worldly terms. There was a procession of tanks and troops and missiles and all the world's leaders gathered to pay homage. And one of the people who was there was George Bush Sr. when he was a vice president of the United States. And he saw this extraordinary thing. That just as this leader of this atheistic, brutal regime was about to be, uh, was, his, his coffin lid was about to be put on. And he was about to be interned. His wife, Victoria Brezhnev, suddenly stepped forward from her formal position and in an unprompted, unscripted, kind of spontaneous moment, leant over the dead body of her husband and just made a sign of the cross and then stepped back again. And for those who had eyes to see, it was a sign that she realized that her husband, though he might have attracted all the plaudits and all the power, was going to have to come face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ, his power wasn't going to help him. His authority wasn't going to help him because all power and authority belongs to Jesus Christ himself. It's above all power. doesn't matter if you're the most powerful person in the world. Your power is inconsequential next to the power of Jesus Christ. You might have the biggest ego and the biggest power in the world, but your ego is going to have to come face to face with the ego-shattering reality of Jesus Christ. And no propaganda, no 
army, no wealth is going to help on that day. Every empire in our world is going to rise and fall. Every company will increase and decrease. Every leader will emerge and fade. Things that dominate political discourse in our public sphere today will be no more than a shadow of a whisper in 10 years' time. On the final day, the church of Jesus Christ will stand firm. The church of Jesus Christ will remain. The church of Jesus Christ will be beating down the gates of hell because it is eternal. And Jesus said, I will build my church and it's going to beat down the gates of hell. We go in his name. We're commissioned by Jesus, by the words of the one in whom all things hold together. With the blessing of the one who when he speaks, the very fabric of the universe stops and listens. Look at the disciples. There's 11 of them on the side of a mountain, occupied by one of the most powerful armies and effective armies the world has ever seen. Who would have thought that 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away, we would be here at the heart of this influential city? Would they have imagined it? And yet they were able to turn the world upside down. Why? because they were commissioned by the risen Jesus, and he has all authority. We want to make disciples. The question in life is not, will you be discipled? That's not the question. The question, whether you like it or not, is what or who is discipling you right now? now what are you being influenced towards? What is going to shape you? Netflix? Social media? The culture in our society? The culture in your company? Or will it be Jesus Christ, his word, his cross, his spirit, his body? Is the tide of culture going to pull us away from Jesus? Or are we as a community going to move together in the direction of Jesus, become more like Jesus, do the things that Jesus did? And this is a time for us to come alongside and envision and encourage our children and youth to help our families grow in their faith together. So moving to see all those kids flourishing again, to see kids skipping over there and coming back buzzing and forging friendships for the first time in months, to see our youth on fire with love for Jesus and passionate to be raised up as leaders. It's so exciting to see our students kind of on fire to be shaped by Jesus. Our 20s and 30s hungry to live lives that point to Jesus. Our 40s and 50s focused on following Jesus in every season of life, even the very busy seasons, wanting to build the church. Our 60s, our 70s, our 80s passionate to invest their wisdom and hard-won experience in the generations that are rising up. We want to equip every generation to follow Jesus with every aspect of their lives, to make disciples of all nations. I mean, what a place to be positioned. It's not by accident that you're here. We have been gathered by God from the nations to reach the nations. All the nations are here. You know, right now in our church today, we have Chinese, Brazilians, Malaysians, Bajans, Indians, Dutch, Ghanaians, you can shout, South Africans, Canadians, St. Lucians, Zimbabweans, French, Spanish, Singaporeans, Koreans, Germans, Iranians, Swiss, Mexicans, Australians, Colombians, Americans, Japanese, Nigerians, (laughs) Jamaicans, Lithuanians, South Sudanese, Paraguayans, and many more, and occasionally a couple from the UK as well. Worshipping together as one family, worshipping one Lord in one faith, one baptism, one church, 
together reaching out to this city and our communities, those in our region, as the nations, under the banner of Jesus Christ, reaching the nations, training each other, encouraging each other to follow Jesus. And as Jesus says, obeying everything I teach you, everything I have commanded you. Obedience is sometimes hard. It's sometimes costly. Obedience to Jesus is sometimes hard. It's sometimes costly. But obedience is an investment in a future you can't yet see. It makes all the difference in the world. Great acts of faith are founded on the shoulders of small acts of obedience. If you're going to welcome Jesus Christ, you need to welcome him, yes, as a friend, but also as your Lord. It's a little bit like this. Imagine Simon Ponsonby um, came around to my house tonight, said, hi, Steve, can we have a quick chat? And I said, yeah, come in, Simon, stay out Ponsonby. It doesn't work. He can't do it. He's incapable of doing it. He can't bring his forename in and his surname leave outside the door. You can't say, come into my life, Jesus, stay out of my life, Christ. It doesn't work. He comes as Lord. And he wants us to obey everything he's commanded. We want to be captivated. We want to be commissioned. We want to follow Jesus with every area of our lives and help each other to do that. And we want to be empowered by Jesus to transform our context. Jesus says, so go. Another way of translating that is, as you go, as you live, as you work, on your way through life, train people to follow me. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, train people to follow me. And then surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What does that mean? It means that this is for all of us and that he is with us. This is for all of us, and he is with us. It's for all of us. Mission is not a special commission for a small group of people who jump on a plane. It is the vision of the normal Christian life that we are called to. Your primary job description today, you need to know this, it's important, might affect your performance review this year. (laughs) Your primary job description is that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's what you are. You say, oh, I've actually got a job title. Yeah, but your first job title is that you are ambassador of Jesus Christ, and you need to know it. That's your primary job description. You have been anointed and appointed to represent Jesus Christ wherever he has placed you. There's probably some other things that are important in your job. I don't know, some targets, some sale figures. Maybe you've got some great boundaries to look after. But your primary, you know, you have to do an operation on someone. That's important too, don't, you know. But, but, but as you do that, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You're the most important role in your life is not given to you by a company or by a university or by a hospital or by a business. It's not given to you by a partner. It's given to you by Jesus Christ himself. You are an ambassador in your college, in your community, in your startup, in your office, in your coffee shop, when you're trading shares, when you're painting, when you're decorating, when you're fixing cars, when you're developing cures for diseases, when you are designing new processes, when you're designing F1 cars, when you are delivering parcels, when you're researching the way that time and space interrelate in our universe, when you are cutting up meat, when you are delivering bread, when you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, if you're a lawyer, or an accountant, or a banker, or you sweep the streets, you are an ambassador 
of Jesus Christ. He is with you. He goes before you. He is behind you. He is even in you. He's with you by his spirit. How is Jesus with us? The spirit of Jesus, Acts 16, 7. He is with you and he will give you opportunities. He will nudge you into spaces where you have an opportunity to bear witness for Jesus Christ, to influence to Jesus Christ, to start to embed the values of the kingdom in your context, to use your voice and your influence to transform your context. Still remember a number of years ago when I was working as a criminal defense barrister, I just started to get a bit frustrated. I thought, I just want more opportunities to influence. I know that's what I'm called to do. I know I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, but how do I do it? It's hard sometimes. You know, you go into a context trying to shape the culture. Sometimes it feels like the culture of your workplace is shaping you. I went in there to try and bring my values, but it felt like the values of the company were influencing me. Becoming too focused on money, too focused on this, too focused on that. I thought, and I'll go on a course. So I went on this church course that was supposed to give you opportunities to speak about your faith. And afterwards, I thought, that was good. Sunday night, work's about to start tomorrow, I'll pray. So I prayed, God, would you give me opportunities to use all that tomorrow? Went to sleep, forgot all about it. Had an early meeting in the morning, so I was in my office at 7. And then 7.30, I was leaving to go to a meeting at another site at 8. And just as I was leaving the office at 7, a senior barrister uh, bumped into me. He said, oh, hi, Steve, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, good. And uh, he said, how was your weekend? I was like, yeah, it was all right, actually. He said, what did you get up to? And I was like, oh, two roads open up. And, um, and I said, oh, well, I went on a course. He said, what kind of course? And I said, oh, <laughs> 7.30 in the morning, haven't had a cup of coffee yet. I'm like, oh, uh, I was like, um, oh, well, it's like a course to talk about how you might share your faith with a colleague. He was like, oh, right, what's that about? I said, like, oh, well, you know, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, how you, um, you know, uh, like, uh, like, just looking at some of the things, you know, you might want to talk about. He's like, like the resurrection. And I was like, yes, the resurrection. And uh, he said, do you think the resurrection happened? And I said, that's a good question. Um, yes, I do. He said, do you think Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead? I was like, yes. And he said, huh. He said, do you think you're going to be resurrected from the dead? And I was like, that's an interesting question. I'm like, it's 7.40 in the morning. Haven't had a cup of coffee. I'm being cross-examined by one of the leading barristers in our country about the resurrection. I'm like, my head is spinning. So we have this whole conversation about the resurrection. I suddenly look at my watch and I'm like, it's 8 o'clock. I'm meeting a QC I've never met before on a whole new case at 8 o'clock at another office. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I've got to go. I rush there as quick as I can. I get in 10, 15 minutes late. I'm so embarrassed. I hate being late. You know, a QC's time, 50 minutes, that's a lot of money. You know, so I'm late. I go in. I say, I'm so sorry. She said, don't worry, don't worry. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I got stuck in a conversation with a colleague. She said, oh, what were you talking about? <laughs> I said, oh, um, well, I, I, we were talking about, like, um, the resurrection. The what? I said, well, it's, it's like I, I, um, I went on a course, a course this weekend. You went on a course this weekend? I was like, yeah, what kind of a course do you go on a weekend? I was like, it's like a church course. Your church runs courses. Well, it's like a course to try and help you talk about your faith. Like, oh, that's interesting. Why would you want to share your faith with someone? It's like, what? It's like, I've never met this person before. I had a plan. Work with her for two years. Eventually win her trust. Make sure she knows I'm competent and, you know, experienced. And then maybe over a coffee on a Monday morning, I'd say, I went to church on Sunday. This is the first time I'd met her. She said, is it like a Jesuit thing? I've, I've experienced the Jesuits. Or like, do you, like what, what's the thing that happens? I said, well, it's just trying to explain the reasons you have for faith. She's like, really? It's interesting. I kind of came out of the office an hour and a half later. I said, God, what are you playing at? One of the few times in my life, I almost felt the Holy Spirit speak audibly to me. He said, you asked? 
You prayed a prayer last night, don't blame me. It's the opportunity you asked for. Do you know, the Holy Spirit is even more interested in you being an ambassador in your workplace, in your family, in your community, in your student halls, in your college, in your bakers, in your coffee shop, even than you are. He's sovereign. He's Lord. Jesus is with you. And he's going to give you opportunities to share your faith, to use your voice. And it's happening even now. I know people in our community who have used their voices to speak about integrity in boardrooms. And it's shifted decisions. And it's been uncomfortable. But afterwards, the CEO of the company has come up to them and said, Do you know, I, I don't agree with that. But I'm so impressed you spoke with integrity. People who have been in the midst of real crises over the last year and have had colleagues say to them, what is it that makes you so calm in the midst of this crisis? And they've been able to say, well, actually, my, my confidence is founded in a slightly different place. People who have been able to bring values into their school and just, just treat children with kindness and concern and compassion, knowing that they're made in the image of God. People who have you know, taken a stand in difficult situations. You know, I, I know even in the, our church this morning, a painter decorator who has been through our ACT program and he has been so moved by the difference that program has made that wants to use his company to help other people access employment and training. And it might seem small to you, but that's how big things begin. And yes, there are difficult days. Yes, it's difficult times. Yes, there's secularism. Yes, lots of people in the workplace might be a bit twitchy around the edges. Yes, it's a difficult context here. There's a number of people who might be a little bit twitchy and hostile about faith. But that's where we've been placed. And I tell you, it's just like places like this that God would do something extraordinary. You know, in 1740, it looked bleak. There were six people who worshipped on Easter Day in St. Paul's Cathedral. 280 crimes on the statute book which you could be executed for, including stealing a loaf of bread. There were children as young as five in the mines. Culture was falling apart. Church leaders, vicars were losing their faith. Everyone was convinced this is the generation in which the church disappears from these lands. This will be the last generation of the church. And a relatively few people led by someone who came to faith there and someone who came to faith a matter of meters over there. Prayed and prayed and preached and prayed. And God moved in a way that shook the cities, shook the country, shook the world. And millions came to faith and whole nations are still not the same today because of what happened in that space. Led to movements of social reform. Led to movements which lifted up the poor and the oppressed. Led to movements of justice which changed the basis of our world. Care for the least and the last and the lost in our community. Just think what could happen as we invite people to encounter Jesus, as we equip people to follow him with every area of their lives, as we inspire people to transform their context, knowing that Jesus seeks and saves the lost, knowing that all authority in heaven and earth is given to him, knowing that he is with us in our lives. The potential is vast. We need Jesus. I just want to encourage you, you've got these uh, things on your chairs. Just to be praying into this this week. Maybe every day this week. Pray, Lord, would you help me to invite people? Would you help me to equip people? Would you help me to transform? Would you help our church? Would you fill our church afresh with your spirit? Would you move in our church? Would you empower us to impact many people in our communities? We need Jesus. Our cities need Jesus.
Our world needs Jesus. And we want to see the name of Jesus lifted high in our church, in our city, and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.